You're listening to the Fueled by the Outdoors podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to subscribe, tell us what you think in the comment section, and leave us a review. I just hammered a good one. Drop the Asher. Never seen that deer before. It's a tough pill to swallow after having that deer at 18 yards. The Fueled by the Outdoors. I'm your host, Chris Leppert, and Rick doesn't like to podcast with us <laughs> as much anymore. He is at home nursing the twig and giggleberries, and uh, we thought we'd do a hunt breakdown since we've got these bucks that keep falling over. So uh, about a week and a half ago, roughly, um, almost two weeks ago, uh, my boy here, Josh Luck, put a great buck down in Kentucky on some public. And uh, we thought we might go ahead and kind of break that down for you guys just to maybe help somebody out somewhere. And, um, you know, maybe they can be successful like he was. So, Josh, take it away, man. I shot my Kentucky public land buck on September 15th is when I shot it. Um, this was actually a morning hunt. Um, so my first successful early season morning hunt, um, I was I was pretty jacked. Um, but I'm going to kind of go back towards the beginning and kind of lead you guys through everything that kind of led up to this season and what put me on this deer and what I think got me a shot opportunity at him. So this this piece of public, I started scouting in March of 2021. Um, I went there with Rick. Uh, we were actually scouting for turkey season. And he said he had seen some deer here uh, on, on that place before. So th that's as I was transitioning, you know, in the hunting public. So I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to stick to this area and try and learn it as well as I can. And so I scouted all that summer. Got on two really nice deer. Um in between, you know, running trail cameras and doing some in-person scouting. Um, I kind of had an idea of where these bucks, their general core area was. Uh, but we get into the 2021 season and then it was, you know, a big learning curve. Um, I put in quite a few hunts early season in Kentucky. I think I sat every weekend for the most part through September, maybe a couple Thursdays in there. And then we get into early October. I threw um, some sits there as well. And to preface this, a lot of those sits, I was skunked. I didn't even see deer. Um, so that's why I kind of preface this that it was a big learning curve. Um, I was in the general area of where those bucks were, their courier were, but I didn't quite have it nailed down um, as well as I thought I did. And as this season goes on right more pressure comes in there's more people in there and uh you know me g going into that year i kind of thought you know these bucks are going to be moving around away from the pressure so i was kind of moving um depending on where the pressure was and uh, that was another learning experience but so going through the 2021 season i didn't see any of my target deer on the hoof um the closest i got I had my number two target walk by me like 20 minutes before daylight, and that was during the rut. Um, that was it. I had these bucks 
on plenty of my cameras during the daylight, but they were definitely tough. They knew how to avoid the pressure. Um, so going through the season, I kind of took note of everything where these deer like to move during the time of year, where they tend uh, to stay in bed. And then the, the areas I was hunting, I was really learning um, basically the spots that weren't great to hunt, um, whether I was kind of in some of the bottoms near creeks. If I got off the creek, my wind would just swirl. I really had to stay near the creeks in the evenings to play with the thermals. Um, yeah, and these deer really like to stick on, I found that they like to stick on edges near some thick cover. Um, I learned that as the year went on. So <clears throat> taking everything I learned from last year, I went in to this year's scouting. I did some postseason scouting in January and February. Uh, that buck, my number two target buck there had died. I don't know how he died. Um, I just, I found the head and antlers and I got a tag from the DNR to recover it. Um, but my, my number one target buck was still alive after the season. So I kind of had a deer in mind that I was going to go after leading into this season. Um, so going into the summer, I kind of do the same thing I did last year. I did a lot of summer scouting. I put some cameras in different areas. Now, I, I learned last year, I had a couple takeaways from last year. Uh, number one, that this place got quite a bit of pressure and that these deer were used to the pressure where I thought those deer would kind of move more so that I, I thought they would move quite a bit, like get as far away from the human pressure as possible. But that wasn't really the case. They hung, they actually hung in areas that were fairly close to the pressure, but these spots were pretty hard to hunt. There was thick cover. Um, you know, it was really hard to get to them. They had good vantage points and I guarantee you some of those deer would let me walk by them and just sneak out the back door. Um, they just held tight, stayed in these thick areas and just avoided the pressure really well. Um, and they hung tight to some of these core or bedding areas more so than what I thought. They actually didn't transition out of them until, oh, until the end of October last year. So going into this year, um, I focused my cameras back on that core area where I had caught them hanging out last summer. Uh, my my goal was to get on, back on that my number one target buck, um, which I ended up doing. Um, I spread cameras out, and by spread them, I actually didn't spread them that far, maybe a couple hundred yards, but I put a few in an area up on this like ridge where there's um, some a lot of tall crp thick autumn olive honeysuckle briar patches just real thick nasty and it's hardly any trees to get into um so i located that buck and i was i was pretty stoked and then i located another buck there was another another deer that moved into this area after my number two last year had passed away and he was he was a good looking deer so i was like okay i got two targets again on this piece um, so I, I just honed my scouting in this summer, moved and shifted cameras around. Um, and actually my last card pull 
uh, before the season, I had a thunderstorm roll in, and and I'll show this on the on the YouTube video. Uh, but I had a thunderstorm roll in, and I had pulled a few cards, pulled some cameras, and I I got a video or two of that number two buck um, turned into a real nice nine pointer. Um, and I knew he was kind of hanging out the same area as my number one target buck was. I didn't get any videos of the number one buck, uh, but I had a camera up in near the most likely spot I thought they were betting. And as this thunderstorm rolled through, I wanted to go check this area because for the past year and a half, I had been trying at, during my scouting to go in and bump a buck to see exactly where I was betting. And I hadn't done that which is part of the reason why I said earlier, I think that they would stay tight until I got past them and they would sneak out the back door. Um, those those deer on public or the pressured public, or they know, they know if they stay still and you don't pay them a look of attention and you keep going by, they can just sneak right around you and we are none the wiser. So anyway, so I figured with that thunderstorm rolling in, I would, go into the area where I thought they were most likely bedding or at least have a primary bed and, and see if I can sneak up there, use, use the rain to my advantage, keep my noise down and get up in there. Um, so I ended up doing exactly that. I was actually, I actually surprised myself, but I, I got within 25, 30 yards of what I'm pretty sure is the number two target buck. Bumped him out of a bed, took off on his escape route, so I was like, awesome. Like the game is on now. I know where you're betting. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a pretty yeah. good feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gotcha. You know, uh, you know, it's funny. I well, I guess I'm probably wrong about this, but they're probably in that situation. I mean, clearly, he's better off to just sit there and watch you until you're like about to step on him. Because if he, you know, do you feel like if that buck doesn't bust, that that kind of changes things for you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if he if he didn't bust and I didn't notice him, but I was walking straight towards him. Yeah. So and I just happened to stop, which when you stop is when they get kind of antsy and then take off. Would you agree that if you don't know where that buck's bedded, which is kind of where I was going, like that changes things? Yeah. Um, a little bit because so i i did hunt that bed uh i didn't see anything i, I only say maybe a little bit it might have changed where i sat the first evening i went to hunt but i knew from the trail cam data that they were still hanging around this area um so even if i want to bust them out of there i know from last year's scouting and this year's scouting i probably would have still hung out around around that general area um okay. but yeah it would it would make me scratch my head and think a little bit harder about where to go um definitely so anyway so yeah i bumped him out of his bed i thought game on i know where you're at so i hung a couple cameras that day and that was uh like a month before season that was in august Went and checked cameras at another piece, didn't have anything. I was as excited going after. So my thought was, okay, I'm going to stick to this one piece. Fast forward, we go to Nebraska. 
that first week of September, so I didn't get to hunt opening weekend. We already kind of broke down Nebraska in another episode, but end up, you know, shooting a deer but not recovering. Pretty sure it'll he'll live. Um, so we get back into Ohio, Kentucky. We got back what September fifth, I believe. Yeah, we got back on Labor Day. Um, the first opportunity I have to hunt after this deer <laughs> was September tenth. So second week in a season is the, my first chance of this deer. And uh, I go in sad that Saturday evening and I get there and there was I got there pretty early in the afternoon. There was a guy there um that was from Ohio, talked to him for a little bit. He actually went to another piece. Um we got to talk and he's like, Yeah, I've been hunting like the past week and hopping around different places. He's like, I might go somewhere else. Um, so anyway, so I head out in this place. So while I was scouting, there was some, I could tell there was some human traffic during the summer. Not a lot, but there was some. I get there that second weekend and you thought like an army went through there. They were beat down like walking paths. Like Chris, you walked there. Oh my went God. To recover the deer. It was like, well, here's the trail everyone walks down. So that had me a little worried. And I also checked harvest results. And uh, I'd seen that there were multiple deer taken off this piece. So I, that Saturday, you know, getting there, looking at the harvest results and seeing all the human sign, I was, I was pretty discouraged because I was like, man, there's just been an army of people in here. Like that, that place had to have gotten pounded that opening weekend. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, so I was, I was a little discouraged. And the last, the last time I saw that buck in person when I jumped him out of his bed was like a month earlier. And the last camera footage I got was a month earlier because I, I pulled the cards the same day I jumped that buck. So I'm going in semi-blind, but I'm still using all the data I gathered from scouting this past summer and last year. Um, you didn't you didn't see a lot of pressure there last year, did you? I saw some. Um, I actually ran into that uh, another guy there last year who had talked about the pressure. He had been hunting there for a few years, and um, he had said last year was the most pressure he had ever seen there compared to like the two years prior mm-hmm. and I, I know. So he said that was the most pressure he'd ever seen there. So there, there was a decent amount. And then this year, I know there was more pressure than last year. Oh yeah. So it's like exponentially going up there. Um, so I go in that on September 10th that evening and I, and I go in early, I sneak in, it takes me an hour and a half, two hours to get to where I want to go and set up. I set like 30 yards off of that bed where I spooked that buck. Um, sat there, I had the thermals playing to my advantage. You know, it was it was like on the edge of that taller, like CRP, that thick stuff. Was yeah. able to cross and go through, but uh, I got I got skunked. I didn't see anything. And all my way in, keep in mind, like squirrel season and like dove and all that are in. So I go in there and maybe I don't, they didn't sound, they maybe sound like 150 yards. 
down on this bottom where I was going to set up. There was some guy shooting a gun like crazy. I don't, there's no way he, it was like leisure shooting. He wasn't, he couldn't have been shooting squirrels. If he was shooting squirrels, that had to be the Mecca of squirrel land because that dude was shooting way too much. And he wasn't in an area where it was conducive for dove hunting. So he's just like randomly in the woods shooting a gun, which was super annoying. But it's public. That happens. Um, so I don't know if that kind of prevented any of the deer from, you know, being visible that evening. But I got skunked. I didn't see anything. So, again, kind of discouraged. I didn't get a chance to check any cards on my way out that evening. So I'm, I'm still somewhat blind at this point. By blind, I mean I don't have any recent intel. So I just hunt that Saturday. Going into the next week, my next opportunity to hunt is the 15th, Thursday. The Thursday is my opportunity to hunt. And I was going into the week, I was really debating, do I hunt morning or evening? Now, early season mornings, you really have to have the kind of prime setup. It has to be just right for conditions. So that's why a lot of people will hunt the evenings. And usually, I feel like the deer are easier to pattern in the evenings come early season. So I'm really debating on what to do for that Thursday hunt. And I finally came to the conclusion. I'm like, you know what? I don't have recent intelligence. The most recent intelligence I have is a month, a month and a couple of weeks old. Everyone's been hunting. I know it's been pressured on the weekends. On the 10th, when I walked out, there were two or three other vehicles in the parking lot. So some other people showed up after I did. So I knew I was like opening weekend, I got pounded. Second weekend, it was hit pretty hard. I'm like, more than likely, most most everyone's hunting in the evenings. I was like, you know what? I don't have anything to lose. I'm going to go in. I'm going to play my wind. I'm going to go in in the morning during the week. And my thought was, everyone's hunting the weekends and the evenings. I'm going to go in during the week in the morning and hopefully catch one of these bucks off guard. Like, go in at a time when no one else goes. And I was going to get on the opposite side of the core area, the, the core bedding area that I was that Saturday evening because my, my wind shifted. This was like just after a wind shift. I had like a north, northeast wind that day. Um, so I set up in a spot I had set that Rick and I had both sat last year and we sat there once. Um, but there was like one tree I can get right on the edge of that tall CRP and that thick stuff. So I was like, you know what? I'll hop up there in my saddle. I should be able to see most anything moving through the thicket if it's potentially catching a buck off guard, going back to bed a little later, or just moseying around in this bedding area. And I would have the wind in my in my favor. Um, if something was moseying through there, the deer would still have a wind advantage, whether coming over his back or quartering into it. But I was just off the side enough to where nothing should smell me. That was the thought. Hell yeah. If you're looking for an affordable technical gear style clothing that performs well, that cuts weight from your clothing, but not from your wallet, check out Huntworth. 
Whether you're hunting early season in Nebraska, mid-season in Ohio, or late season in Iowa, Huntworth has a system to keep you comfortable and focused on your hunt. With early season fast approaching, we highly recommend checking out the Durham Lightweight Hunting Pants and the Midweight Shelton Hoodie. These items paired with an appropriate base layer will perform at a high level in multiple early season conditions when fishing and hunting. So we've been on the search for a new broadhead this year, and after doing some research and kind of looking around, we found this company called Afflictor Broadheads. We got our hands on some of the heads this summer to test out, and guys, I got to tell you, I believe that this head will be in our quiver this fall. Each and every broadhead is hand-assembled in their Texas facility by people who truly care about your experience. This year, I'll be shooting the K2 Mini and the K2 Hybrid, and I got to tell you, I'm absolutely loving them. They fly great, they're extremely durable, and the penetration is just deadly. I can't express it enough. I also love the practice pin feature these guys came out with. So far, I'm really, really impressed. To learn more for yourself, check them out at afflictorbroadheads.com. So, I go in Thursday morning, try and be pretty quiet. And then I actually, I end up getting out there late. I left late, first of all, and then I got caught in like a wreck or construction. So I got there late and I didn't, I got to my tree and got everything set up. It was seven twelve when I did my interview. And this, this area, I'm in, the, like I said, that's tall grown up CRP. Right after I did the interview, there was a, a fawn that, jumped into the little thicket i need the she was 30 yards away and i didn't even see her like this the crp was over the deer i didn't see her until she like leapt out of it into this little brush pile i was like oh god like that's taller than i thought like this it was like five six foot tall so anyway i get down to my interview and i'm and i'm sitting there i'm like okay if i see something it might be a little early so I'm being kind of quiet, getting B-roll, and I'm just looking around, and then I have to look over my left shoulder, and I don't remember exactly why I looked. Um, can't remember if I heard something or I was just scanning the field. But I look over into the thicker stuff, and there's a cedar, and then out behind the cedar steps a buck. I could see a rack. I couldn't tell what it was. And then he turns his head, and I thought, Holy shit, it's my one of my target bucks. <laughs> <laughs> that moment where you have a plan and then the plan actually comes together, you're like in in just shock that it's actually working like you would hope it would. This is the first time I've had a plan work like that. So I was like taken aback. I wish I had the camera on as soon as my as soon as I saw the buck because my <laughs> eyes had to be bulging out of my head. But I saw the buck turn its head and I saw him. I was like, oh my God, that's that's one of the bucks I'm after. It was the same buck I bumped out of the bed uh, about 150 yards, 175 yards on the other side. And uh, there was the number two there that I was targeting. So I'm like getting all the camera. I'm getting the, my phone ready and getting the GoPro ready. And he's angling through the CRP. And at first I thought he was going to kind of turn and hit the edge between where the the hardwoods meets the taller CRP. 
I was like, man, if he turns and cuts towards this edge, he was going to give me like a 15 yard shot. So I was like, I'm like, oh man, this is about to happen. So there are some other trees in my way and there, there's like another bigger cedar and he works kind of behind it. And I lose track of him. I'm like, man, where'd he go? And uh, he ends up popping out on the other side and he's actually kind of quartering away and kind of hugging this other edge. There's like a briar thicket and autumn that he's hugging that edge. And he's, he's moving with a quartering wind to his face. So it's, it's on the left side of his face, hitting him that quartering into it there. And he's looking out, it's, it's thick, so he can't see much. So that's why he's got the wind on his face moving through there. But I'm 35 yards downwind of that. So he has no idea I'm there. So I see him moving. And when I catch a glimpse of him, again, I was like, man, the CRP is really tall. I don't, I didn't know if I could shoot him. That's how tall this was. It was over his back. And he's working and he gets to an opening. There, there is an opening a few feet where the grass is a little lower and I could, I could see where his vitals and stuff would be. So I'm like, oh, this is my opportunity. Well, I, I draw back and it's kind of, it's noisier in this area. And I like go, and he's not stopping. And I basically have to yell at him. I showed Chris the video and Chris says I sound like a goose honking at this deer. We'll call it that. <laughs> Keep it PG. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm making wild noises at this deer and he finally stops. And again, I'm watching the deer and he's court I see him quartering away slightly. And that's from my vision. And afterwards we realize he's probably quartering. He was quartering more than what I thought he was. Um, but he's quartering away. He he doesn't he stops to where his front shoulder is behind some of the taller grass, which is okay because I had to aim back anyway but i stop him i get anchored in and i'm you know i'm trying to like stay calm and i i let the arrow fly and as soon as i released i i i think i was trying to watch the arrow is what i was trying to do i was just you know jacked and caught in the moment and i i pulled my bow arm and i, I pulled it left and i hit him back and i was already aiming back i was aiming like last rib um so i pulled left hit him back further than i thought he goes and takes off you know i'm trying to stay calm i'm like man like i'm trying to get myself too worked up because i knew the shot wasn't great um but i call my wife call chris chris what was what was that morning like set my second sit of the season and you're getting a call from me what <laughs> so i remember sitting here hell i think i was in the bathroom actually <laughs> I feel my phone buzzing and I look and it's you calling us in one of our message threads. And I'm like, what in the heck? And normally that's just a butt dial. It happens all the time. So, and then it hung up and I was like, oh, butt dial. Like 20 seconds later, he's calling me naturally on, you know, the regular iPhone app or whatever. I'm like, oh, shoot. This is either an emergency or we're going to have some fun. And so I answered the phone and I think I said something like, this had better be a good call. And yep. You're like, I just shot my number two target buck. Like, Holy <laughs> crap. Are you freaking shizzling me? So that was pretty cool. Um, super happy for you. And uh, tell us, 
tell us a little bit. Let's dive in a little bit about where you felt the shot was. Let's tell people all the evidence that you gathered and then maybe go into my thoughts and your thoughts and how we approached the tracking job a little bit. Yeah, <clears throat> there's some good takeaways, I think, from the tracking job. So, so like I said, the deer was slightly quartering away. I was already aiming back around last rib based on his angle. I pulled my shot left. I don't, I knew I hit him back. I didn't know exactly how far back I had hit him. <laughs> so, and I, and I tell Chris this, I'm like, I hit him back. I'm not sure how far it is, but I knew I hit the deer. So I told him, I was like, I'm gonna go find this area and then find this arrow and then make a decision on what I think is going on. So in my head, right away when I shot, I'm like, gut sliver is kind of where I was thinking based on how I pulled my shot and it was back. So I get down, go to where the impact site was. And it's, like I said, this area is pretty thick. It took me a while to find blood and, and the arrow. But I had blood on impact and it was a clean pass through. The arrow was like actually a few feet behind them through these, this, briar, this briar thicket. Pulled the arrow out and it was covered in blood. There were some spots of watery blood, some, spart some parts that were darker red. Um, on the veins, I have white veins, so I can see the blood pretty well. It was a little grainy and it had a smell to it. So definitely knew entrance was in the guts. That, that kind of that grainy, gritty blood with that kind of stinky smell. To me, it was indicating gut shot. And there also some of that watery blood. And I was like, okay, definitely back. Some of the darker uh, blood had me thinking, okay, on the exit, I might hit liver. Um, and from, from previous experience, I knew with those shots, you have to let the deer lay. Don't, don't push them. Don't do anything like that. Just back out, let them lay. And when, when I shot the deer, I saw him, I, I couldn't see him very long because of how thick it was. He went, he busted through this like autumn olive, like bush, and then went off on the other side. I saw a tail flicker once and then I didn't hear anything. And I'm not quite sure how far he ran over there, but I heard him take off and then nothing. So in my head, I'm like, okay, he most likely went over there, took off, stopped, and he's going to go maybe walk in bed down somewhere. That was my thought. Um, and I was kind of confirming that with what I saw in the arrow. So as soon as I found the arrow and kind of confirmed it was what I was thinking, I just backed out. I didn't go any further in because um, I didn't want to risk pushing him. And my other thought was, if you ever need a dog, right, you don't want to you don't want to walk around all over. Um, it doesn't it doesn't do the dog any good. So I backed out and I called Chris and we came up with a game plan. Uh, he couldn't help out until later in the evening, which I was fine with. I think last year talking to David Bell, who's a tracker, said sometimes on those, what was he talking about, Chris? The liver shots, sometimes you have to let them lay like eight hours. Mm -hmm. yeah. Six so to eight I, hours minimum. Yeah, yeah minimum. So I kind of knew that going in. I was like, okay, we should let them lay at least that. So by the time we get back to this WMA, it had been 10 hours since the shot. So in my head, I was like, based on the arrow, I was like, okay, I feel pretty confident he should have expired by now. 
Um, so we, we get to the, and Corey Godard came and helped us track as well, but we get to where the impact was and can't really see the blood. Like at the shot of impact, there was a, a pretty good splatter of blood and it was no longer there. So I don't know if the blood has just dripped down. Again, it was in the morning. There was a lot of dew on that tall grass. So I don't know if some of the grass kind of washed away or just dried off and it was very hard to see on the grass. So that was a little discouraging, but we reviewed the footage, got a bead on his line of travel, knew where he went in. So we kind of started heading in that direction. Um, so we're going, you know, down what we suspect this deer's line of travel was. And we're finding in a couple spots, Chris, I don't know if you have seen this before. I have seen it once or twice before where you get a deer shot in like the guts or something. And then they 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 basically as they're going there, they'll there'll be this like runny diarrhea shit on the ground. I don't know if you've seen yeah. that. Yep. Yep. So there was a couple spots like that. I can't actually say it was from that deer, but there were some spots like that. So in my head, I was thinking, okay, this may be this deer and he's going this way. So we're going and, and again, this area is very thick. We get to a spot where he could have split off one of like three ways. So we each kind of take a path and go maybe 20 yards more um i think at that point we went maybe what 50 60 yards from site of impact yeah and then, and then you kind of asked me like okay what do you want to do and my thought was okay it's going to be really hard to find blood in this area it'd basically be a body search <clears throat> so i was like okay we'll back out and then most likely call a dog because the dog is going to do way better in that than what we ever will. Oh yeah. We sent the uh, drone up too. Yeah. Yeah. You had, you, uh, I think was it you or Corey that mentioned the drone. Me. Yeah. And, so and you, that's the thing we could have found that deer more than likely had we just gone basically behind where you were sitting over the woods, we could have seen him from the air because of how he was laying. He was belly up. Um, and there wasn't a canopy, like, yeah. it was like, like an open spot within the woods. So that was kind of depressing, but I'm almost glad anyway. Like either way, we would have got a good experience because we would have had Corey there. We'd have got home a lot earlier. We'd have got even better picks with your deer, the whole nine, mm -hmm. right? But watching that dog work was that was phenomenal. Awesome. That was literally uh copper from the fox and the hound <laughs> going up chief. Like he just took his time as a year and a half old pup. He took his time and broke that deer net. It, it was incredible to watch. It was yeah, something else to witness. Now I know people are like, uh oh, so the preface is yes, I should have made a better shot, but things happen and there's no shame in getting a dog. And sometimes that is the best option you can do for the deer that you shot. Sure. You know, I am of the opinion, like if you shoot a deer and you're pretty sure it's going to die, you should do everything in your power to find the deer. Like you owe the animal that, like you owe the animal your best effort to find them. Sometimes they live, right? They're very tough animals, but 
with that shot, I knew that deer was going to die and we, we needed to do everything we could to find it. So after we didn't find anything with the drone, we called David Bell. He's probably the best, I would say the best tracker in Ohio. He's got one of the best dogs for sure. And this dog's young. Um, he said he's able to come out and help. So he, he drives down and uh, we go back to the shot, the impact location, and this dog just works. And then quickly makes very short work of where we had walked initially, and then does a loop in the opposite direction. We actually thought the deer went. Um, so that dog worked. Uh, it did a big loop, probably from where the impact was to where we found the first drop of blood. Wasn't actually that far. It might've been like, 90 yards or something but the loop he did was heck 150 200 yards before he found a drop and we worked this area and it was just so cool to see that dog figure out where where that deer went because there was a couple there was one spot in general it looked like he might have bedded down a couple times and when the deer beds down the scent will pull and dave was talking about this he's like it's like if the deer bedded here in the scent pool it'll take the dog a minute to work out which way he went and uh, we actually went off a couple times in a direction that ended up not being the deer, but the dog went this way twice. Off the last bed we found, went up and over, actually back past where we, where I shot the deer, and went down into this other bottom. And Dave at first was thinking we had jumped my buck and he wasn't dead, um, but you know him being an experienced tracker, he was like, okay, let's go back one more time to that bed and see if the dog works somewhere else. So this is the third time. So we get back to that bed and then sure enough, the dog worked it out again, but he went the opposite way, went down the other side of the ridge, actually heading towards where I sat the first evening on uh, September 10th. We weren't far from that location at all. So we worked down and then we, we found my buck and it was, a very relieving feeling to find him i was i was pretty jacked yeah that's uh that's one of those things i i remember joking saying well the the deer's going to end up behind you or something stupid like it's so crazy it happens almost every time with a big buck like that's just how it goes with your buck last year it was in the spot none of us even looked and was that because we pushed him there and then didn't end up making it over there. You know, I don't know, but um, I've had that happen a couple times. Once on a liver shot buck, I had I had an old PSE Typhoon expandable head and uh, shooting the Tekken twos, and I took a pretty long shot. Um, and I would say my bow probably wasn't even close to in tune. Um, but I did hit him in a soft spot back there around the last rib and thought, man, you know, I, I mean, I barely got any penetration at all. And so there wasn't hardly any blood to go off of. And we body searched for a couple of days. And um, I want to say like three or four days later, we were walking in to like check a trail camera or something. And this is back in 2008, something like that. And uh, sure shit, we almost step on the deer like 60 yards behind my stand. 
couldn't believe it. Now, did that deer die, you know, a day ago? Did that deer die that night? You know, I don't know, but uh, I couldn't believe that I didn't penetrate that deer, but same thing. He, he doubled back. I've had, I've had multiple bigger deer do that. So, uh, and it's always frustrating. Um, I think a lot of people probably don't understand it, it can be pretty tough uh, to hunt bigger deer because they don't just stand perfectly broadside and do everything you want and give you all this time. And now add in the fact that you're filming and it makes it even more difficult. So you, you really, if you want your percentages to be high in success, you have to take the shots that you're given. And mm -hmm. so um, you got to be ready for a long shot, short shot, tight angle, shoot through stuff, you know, all that. But, um, you know, it, it's just tough. So uh, I'm pumped that we found him and we were able to salvage everything. But that one, that one quarter, the ham, I mean, it was, <clears throat> you know, he was septic and it, it didn't smell right. So I thought, let's, we'll leave this here for the coyotes and, and take the rest of it. And, yeah. Uh, so the shot was, so I guess we didn't mention the shot, but the shot yeah. was definitely back. It was just in front of that back right ham and it came out about liver on the other side. Um, yeah, it was. So he was, he was quartering a good bit, actually more than what I thought. Um, but if I would have hit him where I was aiming, probably would have came out towards the opposite shoulder. So, but again, stuff happens, right? We got recovered the buck, right? And it was first, it was my first deer from a saddle, my first public land deer ever. And I got it done in two sits. Yeah. And in a morning, early season. So that, that was a special deer. Um, and I want to preface, like, it took me two sits this year, but it's it was a year and a half leading up to those two sits. Yep. Yep. Um, and I think that says something about uh, knowledge gain and scouting. I mean, I mean, let's face it, all of what we consider the best hunters, not the TV hunters, the real ones, um, the guys who are out on, you know, mainly public land. Sometimes they'll do private, but they're mainly on public land, grinding it out. And a lot of that grinding is scouting. And yeah, all the right guys right. who are most successful probably scout more than most people hunt and scout. Um, and, and their scouting is so insanely detailed and next level. They're not just glassing for deer, looking for deer, running trail cams. They know every scrape, every bed, every rub which direction the rubs are going in and out of the bedding area. Uh, they know how the thermals act on certain winds. Uh, they, they wind map the whole damn place. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. So it's kind of cool to see that play out. And it's not exactly how those other guys do it to a T, I guess. It, it kind of is, though, because they're gaining knowledge while they're hunting in hunting season. But it's kind of neat to like, I guess, follow you in the sense that, you know, we'd always give you shit for going on an outfitted hunt. And then you started following us around on public land. Then you got your own little spots, your own little slices of heaven. And 
and you know you started scouting and rubbed your shit in when you found your shed and all that and um, <laughs> um for all that don't know i suck at shed hunting <laughs> um so and then you know to watch you have you know the bucks on camera and and have that encounter that you did last year and then boom come into this year you know and and it was cool because you're like oh i jumped him out of his bed i know where he's bedded now and then two sits dead you know so next time we just got to make a little better shot and find the deer a little sooner and that makes it easier on everybody of course but like josh said shit does happen and i can attest to that um i am on a i am on a a, a blessed streak right now but mm -hmm. i have not i have not forgotten about the not so nice streak that i had um you know i wounded a deer and then uh had multiple opportunities where i just didn't get a shot so uh i know what it's like but um super pumped for you and obviously for our team and uh pretty jacked to see that one on your wall and uh i want to see you i want to see you up your cooking game a little bit and make some cool shit <laughs> i want I, I want that for sure so which you uh you and your wife owe me a dinner date by the way um a couple of them really but you got to come over let me buy a bottle of josh for the table um <laughs> For anybody that likes Cabernet Sauvignon, Josh is not not Josh Luck. This is the brand. It's called Josh, and it's damn good. <laughs> um, so we always drink it and send a pic to Josh saying you're drinking Josh. Yeah, have a tall glass of me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, we've got those inner loins from my buck that we need to. Oh yeah. Play with. So I'm thinking. Um, I'm I'm actually going to make a post on the page and ask some advice on some some different cooking. I I, I want to make those special, and I don't know if just grilling them is better or if smoking them would be better. So, but either way, I'll bet they're damn freaking good. Oh yeah, those are That's like good. that's like a you know, a three or four people type dinner. Like I couldn't even feed those. Uh, I, I, there wouldn't be enough there for the kids, but I mean, they can still be here. I'm just making them something else. So <laughs> they're going to have to, you know, I'll give them a bite of mine or something, but you come, you come cut that deer up and do everything we did. And then you can have a bite. I don't <laughs> care who you are. That's yeah. special stuff. Well, dude, Congrats, man. I'm looking forward to seeing you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Put one down in uh, in Ohio and hoping to put one down in Kentucky myself. And then, then we'll either go play in another state or uh, maybe fly out together to Nebraska or do something stupid. Yep. We just got to. Birds. Oh, yeah. So We just got to flip-flop here. You get yep. it done in Kentucky. I'll get it done in Ohio. And then we got room to play. Hells yeah, dude. All right. Well, guys, we appreciate you tuning in to this hunt breakdown. We're going to do these with each and every deer that the team members kill. Obviously, if it's like, hey, I shot a baby deer over a corn pile or something like that's obviously a little different. But we will go into that a little bit because there are there are certain people that 
want to learn how to hunt and that's an easy way to get started. So uh, with that said, we appreciate you tuning in. This has been Fueled by the Outdoors. I've been your host, Chris Leppert, joined by the ever so awesome third leg, Josh Luck. Take it easy, guys, and have a good night. See ya. Hey everybody, this is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, to fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.